I do have in my hand some bookmarks, and we actually got these bookmarks uh, made. I got these made in 2017. Uh, Eddie was doing a Bible study where he's part of, we were part of a Bible study that was meeting at the hair salon, one of the hair salons in downtown Fort Pierce. And it's every Monday night, it's where now the Monday night Zoom group kind of transitioned to, uh, all organically, which is the way that God usually does things. But the Zoom, the group that was meeting at this hair salon, they were going through from Genesis, and then you know you had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, then Numbers, and it's fun because when you hit Numbers, you've already just gone through Leviticus, and you think it can't get worse, like it's gonna get better, like the story's gonna pick up, man, we're gonna get moving. And then you hit Deuteronomy, and you're like, man, I just read all that. Um, so uh, then finally Joshua, and now we're, now we're blowing through the Bible at that point. But it's interesting, because that's the Torah. So that's like the Jewish, like the, the first five books of the Bible. Like, if you were a Jew, like, that's what you knew. And uh, you definitely had that to go on anytime anything was happening in your nation or looking forward to mess- the Messianic kingdom. I mean, you were looking back, and the Torah was like your main thing. That's how you understood who God was. Uh, but Numbers was a way that you could really understand your history. And so we made a bookmark, and uh, on that bookmark we had Team Faithful and we had Team Faithless. And you see that all throughout Numbers, um, and we see how God kind of uses his people in the middle of that and how there's hope in the middle of that. Uh, but we had a bookmark made, um, probably because we wanted to make Numbers more exciting. Um, but then at the same time, we had a bookmark made, uh, and we didn't actually do anything with it besides give it to the 15 people or 20 people that were in that Bible study, and I had like 150 or more of these made. So uh, I'm going to give them to you today. I can't guarantee that there will be enough to go around, um, but so if you don't want to ever look at a bookmark ever in your life, don't take it. But if you're a bookmark person, then take one, and I'm going to leave it up to these guys to help me get them out while, uh, while we get going. So go ahead, randomly select as many people as you can get those bookmarks out to. Don't throw them, though, even though it would be way better. All right? So there you go. We're going to pass out bookmarks. Don't do that thing, though, where like someone's trying to give you something free and you're like, you give that mean look of, I don't, why would I want something free? Like you want something free. Trust me. It's, it's fun. All right. Uh, so as we go through, though, you might, you might be able to turn, you might be able to look and you'll see uh, on the bookmark just as you kind of go. Uh, as we kind of go through the story, you might be able to even very quickly pick out that there is a very stark difference between those that end up being faithful and those that end up being faithless, okay? You are going to see that as we walk through, and uh, you might be able to find that it's a lot easier to apply to your life than you think. Um, But let's see if we can get here eventually. I'm clicking. It's on. There we go. All right. So the first question that I have for you guys is this. is who are you going to make this year about? Uh, it's all really interesting, kind of as New Year's comes up and people are thinking about and Karen even hit on it, uh, but as New Year's is coming up and as we're getting close to that time where you're making resolutions, uh, maybe you're going to go work out, uh, maybe you're going to take up a new hobby, uh, maybe you're finally going to go travel, maybe you're going to finally quit your job, uh, maybe you're going to retire, or at least you think that you might retire this year and then about five years later you might think about it again. Uh, you know, you're getting to that point where you're trying to decide what it is you're going to do next. And it just is interesting that everybody chooses to like put it off until the first of the year. So you've likely already put things off until the first of next year by now. Um, and so if you're in that boat and you're one of those people that likes to put it off, uh, just know that this is a year. I just want to encourage you. Think about this question. Who are you going to make this year about? And my encouragement to you is don't make it about you. 
Um, don't even necessarily make it about others or make it about what other people are going to do for you or what you want to like see your, your life, how you want to make me have your life pour into other people uh, because you're going to have a lot of ups and downs and disappointments. Uh, does anyone else need a bookmark? If you do, if you like really want one, raise your hand high because I got Ethan over here and he's like, you know, he's ready to run, I can tell. So just send them back and forth like we do during a praise chart. All right, so, but just be thinking about who is it that you want to make this year about, and then as we go into that, are you this? Are you on Team Faithful, or are you on Team Faithless, okay? And so we're going to end up jumping, like I said, into the book of Numbers, but first we're going to kind of backtrack for half a second, or it's actually not backtracking, it's going forward, and they look back in the Psalm 95, and Psalm 95 is written uh, with this kind of reflection on what happens in the book of Numbers, really what happens in Israel's history uh, as they wander out of Egypt. They go into the, kind of this time where they wander through uh, up to Mount Sinai, and then they walk on through, and they're going to the promised land. Uh, but in Psalm 95, and this is the kind of the point I want you to see, is that the faithful know the Lord and they trust him, okay? So the faithful know the Lord, and they trust him. I want to start off with Team Faithful. I don't want to start with Team Faithless. You will see Team Faithless pop up in this, but Team Faithful, check out, this is how we know. So uh, the very first verse of Psalm 95 gives us kind of even what Pastor Eddie has been able to preach on with creation. We kind of look to who God is, right? So come let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation, that rock of our salvation, that idea that not only that God is our rock, that we can hold, uh, that, that we don't hold him, he holds on to us, right? Uh, when Marley was standing up here for the whole entire service, if you guys remember that, um, God is our rock. He is the rock of our, we don't actually hold this rock of salvation, we actually just stand on it and we trust in it, right? Um, so don't get the wrong idea about what the rock of salvation, it's not a pebble you keep in your pocket, um, God has got complete control and he holds on to us. Us, but he's the rock of our salvation. He's the stability for it. And so verse 2, let us come to him with thanksgiving and let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. So he's getting even bigger, right? Um, just kind of if we want to keep drawing into that. The sea belongs to him uh, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. And we know that in Genesis, looking through God creating the world, that he literally does create the sea. It's, it's, you know, it's, you, it's calm right now, but give it a couple days and it'll probably be all churned up and nasty looking, right? I mean, we hope not because we want to go play, but it, it could be, right? It's, it's, uh, you don't know what's going to actually happen. You could be standing on the edge and all of a sudden a wave can come and knock your ankles out from under you and it just happens that fast, the water. Uh, but then at the same time, the sea belongs to him. He made it and his hands formed the dry land too. So you can look all around you no matter where you're at at any point in creation and you can see what God has created. And so with that in mind, you have it, let's come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, we are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. You think about Psalm 23 where uh, David is writing and we think about the Lord as our shepherd. And uh, just thinking through that whole psalm of Psalm 23, um, we do have a lot of times where we referenced where 
there's the shepherd's look at Psalm 23. We actually have that book. Um, there was a guy in our church, Matthew. He plays the drums. You probably noticed him. Uh, but anyways, uh, so he, he brought that book in. So if anyone wants to grab that book, you're like, man, I don't have time to get on Amazon and get it. A shepherd's look at Psalm 23. Um, if you just want to see kind of like what that looks like to actually say that God is our shepherd, that he actually watches over the flock. I mean, so much more goes into that than me standing up here and like looking at you, right? Like it's actually physically taking care of things. It's making special ointments and rubbing it in your nasty noses because there's little flies that get all up in it, right? It's following you and finding you when you wander off as a sheep, picking you up and carrying you even though you're nasty and disgusting and smelly and taking you back to the sheepfold, okay? It's taking the time as a shepherd to learn how to, to hold and, and actually carve out my own personal staff so that I know just the right weight so that if you're about to go eat in a poisonous plant, I can take that staff and chuck it at you, hit you upside the head so you don't eat it and get sick, right? It's the ability to fight off a bear or to fight off a lion or fight off something that wants to come and eat you. Um, so not just the fact that God watches over his flock that's under his care, but he's like legitimately watching after you for every single thing that's going on in your life. And he cares about every single moment of your life. So that's what that verse seven is so much deeper than what it just reads. All right. So uh, if only you would listen to his voice today. And so if you are faithful Okay, you know who God is, and then here's a call. If only you'd listen to his voice today. Don't do this, though. So here's team, that's Team Faithful. We're about to read more about Team Faithless, but here's a short recap of what we're going to look at. So the Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massah in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience even though they saw everything I did. Now, just understand, like, I mean, he'll probably get more into it, but tested and tried my patience was God talking to Moses and saying, all right, that's it, I'm done, I'm wiping them out, starting over with you, go find yourself, we're going to take you and your wife, you guys are going to create a whole new nation, it's going to be perfect, we're going to do a great job. You know, like, he was done, he was going to wipe out two million people, he had had it, so it's not just simply that they tested his patience, it's like they pushed God to the brink where he was like, I'm done with these people. That's what he told Moses. He gave Moses an opportunity to see into his heart and how he really felt uh, in the book of Numbers. And you can read about that if you find yourself there. For 40 years, I was angry with them. And I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. God saying, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. So leading and walking to the promised land, coming out of Egypt, you've got two million people that are walking. And uh, I just want to kind of quickly, um, before we get into the next part, we're going to get into numbers. Uh, I'm going to give you a breakdown of kind of what that looked like and, and what happens there. So if you read numbers, this is what you're going to see, all right? So numbers one through ten, the first, first ten chapters of numbers, I'm going to save you. You don't have to read it, but you should, all right? So here's what happens. Israel had left Egypt, okay? They're out. They're no longer under slavery. Um, just so you know, Exodus kind of was that time where you see the Red Sea. They walk through that, right? They come to Mount Sinai. Okay, there's the Ten Commandments times two. Okay, because the uh, first Ten Commandments, uh, you had Moses, and he gets so mad, he just smashes them on the ground. He does that because people are 
going from, hey, we're going to have a covenant with God to, hey, we're going to worship this golden calf to, you know, it's like it's back and forth. Even right then, like there's a burning mountain in front of them uh, and they've seen God do some amazing things, yet they still uh, decide to walk away from him. So uh, Israel leaves Egypt. They accept a covenant at Sinai, okay, the Ten Commandments and everything that goes along with that. They all accepted it. They said, yes, that's what we will follow. We will do that. We trust you, God. We're going to do what you say. Uh, And then there's a time where even at Sinai, they get an opportunity to rest. And then from that, Numbers 1 and 2, you have a census. And the census is where they go through the names and they count and they say there's this many people in this clan, right? This many people in this people group coming out of Egypt. And so you kind of figure it out by the men and then you kind of add women and children. You get about 2 million people. And uh, the reason why that census was taken is God was essentially creating a military roll call. He was getting all the men that were between, you know, up above the age of 20. They were going to have people that were going to be fit, ready to fight. Uh, they were going to be held accountable for their actions in that. And hey, I'm amassing this army that's going to go into the promised land. We're going to push the people out that have been there, and uh, they're going to end up taking it over. And when you read more parts of the Bible, you find out the reason those people are getting pushed out and killed is because they've been centuries in that land. They've defiled it, and they've uh, become essentially uh, a people that if you had to look at the morals and the way that they live, God was like, they just will not listen to a thing that I've given them. They've not done anything that I've asked. They've not listened to one prophet that's ever gone their direction, and they've completely rejected me and who I am as the creator. And so he's like, I'm starting over with this land. I'm taking my people in. And so he's bringing in his people to the promised land. So after kind of getting the military ready, uh, then God has an organization. He organizes the priests. And so he's kind of giving this opportunity. He's like, hey, you guys are not only going to go in and you're going to be fighting, but you're also going to be doing this with an act of worship to me. And in order to worship me, you've got to worship me correctly. And somebody always has to be focused on that worship. And the only people that can be constantly focused on worship are the ones that aren't doing the daily task of everyday life. And so I'm going to set aside priests and they're going to carry on the task of sacrifice constantly uh, before me. And so he sets up, he organizes priests. And then after organizing priests, he sets it up, he purifies the camp. And that's in Numbers chapter 5. After purifying the camp, they dedicate now people and they dedicate offerings, and that happens for verse, chapter six and seven. And then they ordinate or they ordain uh, specifically priests, and they ordain Levites. And so they set aside like this whole special people group in chapter eight. And then in chapter nine, they get to celebrate the Passover, and that's that first year after coming out of Egypt uh, when the Israelites left Egypt in a rush. They weren't allowed to bake bread with yeast. They had to do the hyssop branch and the uh, the lamb's blood, and that allowed for, if you guys read Exodus, the angel of death to pass by, right? And so you've got this celebration of something that's happened in their past to remind them of the faithfulness of God when they pulled them out of Egypt. And then in the first year, after the first year, they're celebrating this time of Passover, and that's in chapter 9. So then in chapter 10, here we go again, we're leaving Sinai. So, you know, he starts it off, hey, we're leaving Sinai, and then he takes 10 chapters, and then it's like, okay, now we're leaving Sinai for real, Uh, and so we're walking, we're going to the promised land. And if you look at the way that scholars write about it, promised land walk is like uh, like an 11-day walk away. Like, we're just going to take a journey, we're going to all 2 million people travel, and we'll be there in about 11 days. What could possibly go wrong? Um... So verse 11, or chapter 11, uh, like literally like 
we end with chapter 10, hey, we're going to the promised land, and then chapter 11, verse 1, uh, you have complaining, right? And uh, there's complaints about different things, and uh, one of the main ones that popped out to me was there's complaining about food. Moses, we're hungry. Moses is like, you got manna. What's manna? Manna is like a coriander seed. It's really light. It's fluffy. It has like a honey wafer taste is the way it was described. And it can be taken and made into bread. It fell every single morning. It provided enough food for the day. God made it happen. And it constantly was there. And they ate it all the time. And they complained about it at this moment. And they're like, we want meat. And they talked to themselves, and there was some, they call it uh, some, some like out, outside sources speaking into their lives, some other people that weren't technically Israelites, but they were there, and they said, man, you remember back in Egypt we had meat? And the Israelites were like, yeah, you're right, in Egypt we did have meat. Moses, we want to be slaves again in Egypt, because then we had meat. We had meat in pots, we had melons, we had cucumbers, you know, and I just have to think about the dodo birds, if you've ever seen, uh, you know, the last melon, right? Um, Anyone that's seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's an Ice Age. Uh, go watch it. It'll help. I have kids, but I watched it before I had kids. Um, so, uh, so complaining. They didn't have the food they wanted, and so that led to the complaining. And so a craving, a, a desire, kind of a lust, if you would, a desire, a craving turned into a complaining, and that turned into a rejection, not only of who God was, but also of the people that God had put in charge. They were just saying, forget it, God, we don't like who you are. And so God's like, you know what, Moses? I'm going to give them what they want. And you think, wow, that's kind of cool. God's giving them what they want, even though they're completely disobeying him. No, God says, I'm going to give them what they want. I'm going to give so much that the land is going to be covered with quail so much that you won't be able to catch them all. And I'm going to do that every single day. I'm going to blow in a whole new fresh batch of quail so much you can't even begin to see them all, catch them all. And I'm going to do that for 30 days. And Moses hears this word from God. He's supposed to deliver it to the people. And in that moment, in Numbers, it's fun because Moses looks at God and is like, I don't know if I can tell people that, God, because that's a little crazy. I mean, he just he's like, I don't know. That's God, are you sure you want me to tell this to the people? Because I can't fathom that. And so uh, God's like, nope, tell that to the people. So he tells it to the people, but he's like, but you've got to hang, you've got to only catch as much as you can eat for that day. Don't keep more don't, don't gorge yourselves, but don't keep more than you need for that day because I'm going to bring you more quail the next day. And what do you think happens? The people end up going out and they end up catching more quail than they need. They gorge themselves on meat. They have meat, it says like hanging from their teeth. They're eating so much. Uh, the idea that they're eating so much they can't swallow that last bite of quail, just disgusting, right? Like anyone that's not into eating meat, you're like, that's disgusting. And then if you're, if you're ever, I mean, I can eat maybe half of a chicken if I go to... Uh, uh, what is it, Sonny's? I can do that. Eddie can eat a whole chicken, but he's not going to push himself to eat two, two chickens, right? Like, we're not going to, and if the meat was hanging from his teeth, I think I'd leave. I couldn't watch that, you know? Like, so this is what's happening. Uh, they're, they're, they're just eating so much meat. So God ends up actually sending, like, this plague immediately. He's like, that's it. I'm going to start killing people. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, and and it's, it's very quickly that this begins to happen. Maybe they were dying because they were so full, but I don't know. Anyways, they're just, they're dying. There's a plague. And uh, Moses and Aaron go out, and they begin to pray, and people get saved. So then we kind of continue on, and there's a few, I mean, there's just so much. You've got to read Numbers. You'll see a lot of times where you have team faithful and you have team faithless. And the faithless know this. They know the Lord, but they still reject his promises. They know exactly who God is, 
They know exactly what he said, but they still reject it. That's team faithless. It's very simple. I'm sorry. It's a simple message today. But anyways, we're going to go to Numbers chapter 13, and uh, we're going to jump ahead just a little bit, uh, mainly because there's a lot of like names to read, and I'll let you read those on your own time. But we're going to go to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 17 here. And this is what, uh, this is what, what happens. So I'm going to read it. I'll let you guys decide team faithful and team faithless. Okay, you got a bookmark. You can kind of look at it, and you can figure it out. Verse 17, Moses gave the men these instructions. Now, these are going to be spies going into the promised land, okay? Uh, they're there. They're on the edge. They're super excited, but we're going to go spy it out and figure out our plan of attack. So, and God kind of said, hey, God was like, yeah, go do this. This is, a good, this is a good idea. So Moses gave the men these instructions, and as he sent them out to explore the land, go north through the Negev into the hill country, see what the land is like, and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. Give us an idea. Which way should we go? All right? See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? Do their towns have walls, or are they unprotected like open camps? So again, plan of attack. We're just going to figure out which way we're walking here. All right. Is the soil fertile or is it poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. Okay, just the general information. So they went up and they explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rohab near Libo Hamath. Now these are 12 guys walking around. So they're pretty stealthy. They can move. They can keep things low key. Uh, so they're just going to go walk around. They go north, they pass through the Negev, and they arrive at Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, live. Now, Anak is like, if you had to think like giants, like these are, these are people that you might worry about. But again, they're going to kind of play it low-key. So the ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. You've seen the little illustrations where there's like the little guys and they're walking and there's this massive pole with like these huge grapes. So yeah, let's just think that. That's good. All right, so big old thing of grapes, lots of grapes. And they also brought back samples of the pomegranates and the figs. The place was called the valley of Eshkol, which means cluster because the cluster of grapes the Israelite men had cut there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. So they have a really good idea of everything that's in the land. They've taken their time. They've walked around. They're coming back with some grapes, with some figs. And so expectantly, after 40 days, you have Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh and the wilderness of Paran. And they reported to the whole community what they'd seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. So God promised that the land was going to be very fruitful. He promised that there was going to be just what they found. Okay, He promised it was going to be fertile. He promised there was going to be plenty of place to walk. He promised he would get them there. He promised also that he was going to take them to essentially occupy it. That's what he promised. So the only thing that we're now lacking, we know what God told us he's going to do. So the only thing we're lacking in our knowledge is actually taking a step across the boundary into the promised land. It's the only thing that's left to do. Right, we've, we've spied it, we found the things, we brought back grapes. They're probably all chowing on grapes right now, just like talking amongst themselves. Like, this is pretty good stuff. So, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
Here is the kind of fruit it produces. So far, so good. We're looking good. Everybody's getting excited. I'm getting excited. We're going into the promised land. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. So there's a but. Okay. So you're telling me there's a chance, right? Like we're almost there, right? The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. Caleb tried to quiet the people, because they're kind of getting like, I don't know, there's a lot of people. Say, we're trying to quiet the people. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. So I found um, a team faithful, all right? Someone stepped up to the plate. He's ready to go. He says, let's just go for it right now. We're all ready. We're on the edge. We just had some grapes. We're feeling good, right? Let's go conquer the land. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. Well, who says? Did they even get in like a wrestling match? We don't know. It didn't say they did. Like, how do we know? There wasn't even a sword fight talked about in that whole time that they were spying the land. Nobody even tried, right? Well, how do we know that they're stronger? We're going based off of an assumption. We're just looking at these people, okay? And this is the bad report. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. Well, what happened to the good report? What happened to the grapes? Apparently, they ate them all. But anyways, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. So what just happened to the report? It changed, right? Were all the people that were in that land huge? No, just the descendants of Anak. That's it. All we know from history is that those are the big people. And we know that if enough little people come against one big person, right, Mr. Ben? How many little kids would it take to take you down? Oh, still, but we got two million. We got two million Israelites, all right? Throw the kids in there, too. We could take down Mr. Ben. You know, that's what I'm feeling. Anyone else here feel short like me who think with enough of us go against Mr. Ben with some chairs, we could win, right? All right, that's all I'm saying. So, but they still, they look at this, they're listening to the report. We even saw giants there, the descendants of, so I mean, like everybody's huge, which I mean, I can sympathize with that, right? Uh, but they say, we saw the giants there, the descendants of a neck. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. What, they ask them? Hey, do I look like a grasshopper to you? I'm, I'm fixing to come in and take over your land. How do you feel about that? You know, like, I don't, I don't know what rules of engagement were going on at this moment, but they had some pretty big assumptions. And so this is how the report changed. Now we go from, I mean, we remember Caleb. Don't forget him. He's important. And actually in that, there's another guy. We're going to hear his name in just a second. But we have Caleb. He's team faithful. Okay, but then you've got team faithless. And it's amazing how a report can spread with information that is kind of true right? I mean, they're big people. The land is taken. There are cities. But then there's everything that God told them leading up to that. And let's not forget, they crossed the Red Sea. They escaped the Egyptians. They defeated the Egyptian army when they crossed the Red Sea. They traveled by a pillar of cloud by the day. They traveled by a pillar of 
fire at night. That's how they walked. Anytime that it was time for their camp to move to the next place, the cloud would lift, and that's when they'd pack up camp and they'd start walking. And then when the cloud said, hey, it's time to stop, that was God, by the way. He'd set down the cloud, they'd set up camp, and God's holiness would now inhabit that place in the camp, in the temple, the tabernacle that they'd set up. So they were following God. They also walked through the wilderness. Anytime they complained, they had manna. They also had quail, even though they complained about that. They had water whenever they needed water. They never had a chance. Well, later on, we'll find out when they wander for 40 years, which we'll get there. Spoiler alert. But anyways, their shoes never wear out. Okay, when they left Egypt, the Egyptians were so ready for them to go. But God said, hey, I'm going to give every Egyptian the heart to give you whatever you ask. So just completely plunder the Egyptians. They'll give you all the gold you could ever want, everything that you're going to need, all the animals that you have, you're going to take those with you. You're leaving very rich from Egypt. And whenever all that happened, we've got all this to rely on historically, right? The, this, we're a year out from all that happening. The people that are walking, that are the adults that are setting the example, are walking across the wilderness. They end up at the promised land. They have all of that to go off of, but here's this report that we've got some giants. Now, I'm not saying I'm better than them, but I'm just saying I'm a little skeptical of their thought process right now, all right? <clears throat> so, Here's a question. Would you rather be team faithful or team faithless at this moment? Just, just hear me out. Ready. Here we go. The community began to weep aloud, and they cried all night. My question is about what? That's the only question. Like, why are we crying? We just ate grapes. We just had a really good report. We had a lot of people tell us that it wasn't a good idea. So maybe it's because the disappointment setting in of we might not do this thing. I don't know. Um, I have a thought of what I want to have happen, but it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. It's like whenever you're a little kid and you go to try to climb a tree for the first time, um, and you can't like use your upper body strength to lift yourself up on the branch, but all your older you know, neighborhood kids or brothers and sisters are up in the top of the tree, and you're like, but I want to be up there too, so you start crying because I can't do it. And then it's like as a parent, you're like, just wait, you'll get there eventually, and now you can't get them ever to come out of the tree, right? So, um, but they'll get there eventually, and that, that might, maybe that's what's happening. It's one of those mentalities. It's like we're hearing this report, and we're believing it enough to where it's crushing our dreams, and we're forgetting about who God is. Like we know who that God is faithful, but we're choosing, we're, we're refusing to remember that right now. So maybe that's what's happening. But they spent all night crying about it. Um, and there's a time when you've got to kind of take, I think, the tears and you've got to say, God, am I crying these tears because I don't think you're going to do something? Um, and I think God would be like, no, you got to turn that maybe that worry into something else. Start worshiping me, start thinking about me, start remembering the things that I've done. And then we can cry happy tears, right? So, verse 2. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. So, we cried all night. We're upset. Now we got to find someone to blame. It's easier. We're not going to blame ourselves. I'm not saying that I've ever been like this before but I have, all right? So find someone else to blame. So much easier. I can pass this off. Moses and Aaron, if only we died in Egypt. We're I mean, they're alive right now. I'm just saying. So if only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. That was probably one of the most prophetic things that that whole group ever said. Just saying. <clears throat> You have to read numbers and you'll find out. All right, so why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? That's not what God said. 
but it, for some reason they just have, they've tricked themselves into thinking that that's who God is. Have you ever tricked yourself into thinking that God is somebody he's not? I mean, that God gives you everything that you ever want. That's a lie. He doesn't. Um, that, that God will, uh, I don't know, that God is like this old man with a goatee up in heaven. I don't think that he is, right? Like we trick ourselves into thinking things about God. Don't, don't do that. And we're tricking ourselves here. Um, God's bringing us just to die in battle. That's not true. That's not what he said he was going to do. He actually said quite the opposite. He, he promised that he was going to take them into the land, but they're forgetting that. Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? They plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So they come up with a really good plan. Really good plan. All right. Moses and Aaron are the leaders at this moment. And whenever it's time to choose a new leader and the current leader is still alive, there's usually only one route that you can take. Moses and Aaron kind of have a concept of what that means. So Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Not the choice I would have taken. I would have run. But Moses and Aaron have a different idea. They know who God is and they know God can protect them. Uh, So they fall face down before the whole community of Israel. And while they're face down, two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land. Give it to us. It is, rich, it is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. You have team faithful and you have team faithless. Would you have run in front of an entire two million community population to defend two leaders that they were getting ready to kill and said, whoa, whoa, guys, remember what God said. Would you have had the faith to do that? As a question. It's a question I got to ask myself. Would I have had the faith to do that? Maybe there's a time coming here where we're going to have to have the faith to do that. Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. Do you remember what the report was before, that we look like little helpless grasshoppers to them? We're little. Joshua and Caleb say they're helpless prey to us. Like we're a lion, and they're just like this gazelle. They're going to go running. They're going to flee. They're a zebra. We can take them down without any issue. They're helpless prey. They have no protection. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. So Joshua and Caleb kind of call it like they see it. They realize the community has been crying all night, and it's really because they're afraid. They're afraid of the people that they're going to have to step up to. Um, They're forgetting in that fear, though, who God is. The fear that they're drumming up in their minds becomes much larger than the God that they serve and the God that they've been following. And it's happened a lot. I mean, it happened when they got hungry. It happened when they were starting to get to the point where they didn't have water. Um, It happens now as they look and they think about their kids and their wives, and they think, we can't protect all these people. So check this out. We're going to jump to Hebrews chapter 3, because Hebrews 3 actually looks back on numbers. Uh, It's really good to read, but be on team faithful because Jesus uh, Jesus has to be your leader. If you're going to be on team faithful, Jesus has to be your leader. Uh, Moses is the leader of the Israelites. Moses made a lot of mistakes. Book of Numbers, Moses makes a really, really big mistake. After leading these 
2 million people, actually leading 2 million people to the point where they get to the promised land, they reject God. God says, okay, anyone 20 years or older, you're all going to die in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb, and I'm going to make all of your kids, they're going to rise up, they're going to be the ones to inherit the promised land. The kids that you thought were going to die in the promised land are going to be the ones to inherit it, and you will not even see it. So he sends them back out into the wilderness, and uh, Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that make it to where they go into the promised land. Moses And Aaron should have gone into the promised land, you would think, right? They were very faithful. They trusted God. Aaron had a few mistakes, golden calf, trying to take the leadership from Moses. There were a few things. But overall, he was a relatively clean record. But Moses, just, I mean, immaculate record. Like, if you had him as a pastor, dude, like, you would trust everything he'd say. Except you think that, but then the Israelite community hated his guts. They wanted to stone him like every other day. So uh, you'd think that Moses was great, but apparently something about just following this guy that trusted God really made them upset. And so uh, Moses, though, comes to a point in wandering around the wilderness where the people begin to complain because they're thirsty, which I would too, and they're complaining, and they say they want water. So Moses is just like fed up, and he comes to God, and he's like, God, these people want water. I don't know what to do. I'm done with them. And God's like, just listen. Take your staff. Go over there. Speak to the rock. Water will come out. And Moses walks over to the rock in front of all these people. Now, granted, these are a lot of newbies because their parents have died, and we're getting kind of to the end, but he walks over to the rock, and he's like, listen. He's like, this rock's going to give you water. Watch. And he takes his staff and he bashes the rock as hard as he can. And then he looks up and he says, I've got you water. Are you happy? Like a little slip up. Like, I mean, that's not that bad. I mean, Moses repents, right? Like he can get back on God's good side. But God's like, nope, that's unacceptable, Moses. Uh, You're not going to the promised land either. That's like one mistake. Like when I counted it, I'm sure he had a lot more. But I'm like, I'm looking at him like, Moses like makes this one big mess up and he's not allowed in the promised land. So what does that mean? And it's like, God wants us to understand that he demands from the leader that his people are going to follow. He demands perfection. And that's super important because in Hebrews chapter three, we're going to have a comparison between Moses and our leader who is perfect. Because if Moses was perfect, would we have needed Jesus? No. Moses had to be imperfect. He had to be an imperfect human. He couldn't cross all the boxes off. It would have not been good because we wouldn't have had Jesus. We would have been stuck doing what Moses told us to do, and we'd be burning a bunch of animals right now. Karen, wouldn't be a good day. Wouldn't wouldn't be a good day. Well, maybe. There's a barbecue involved. But anyway, so... uh, But anyways, we'd be burning a bunch of animals. But here's so we're going to go into Hebrews chapter three. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those who call uh, those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. 
There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them. And this is God talking. And I said, their hearts always turn from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my, re- my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day. Every day. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. It's that easy. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who is it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people that Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they should never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. So I've got just a really quick question, and that's, are you going to be faithful or are you going to be faithless? And the reason why that's super important, I think, going into this, if we want to call it going into a new year, is that you've likely made a resolution, maybe. We'll just call it for what it is, right? You might, might likely thought, I'm going to do something different this year. Uh, and my question is, are you doing something different this year because God told you to? Uh, if you're not doing it because God told you to, don't try to do it because then you're trying to do it in your own strength, uh, you'll become a grasshopper very quickly. Um, you won't be able to make it. And another question that I have is that if, if you are trying to do something because God told you to, don't keep that to yourself. You've got brothers and sisters in Christ that you need to tell that to, because they're going to get with you and be like, man, are you doing it? Hey, girl, are you doing it? Are we, are we, are we getting progress here? Have you, have you fulfilled this thing that God wanted you to do? Are you doing it right now? And you might look at them and be like, oh, no, it's getting too hard. I can't take that anymore. They're like, no, like, come on, we can do this. Maybe we can do this together, right? Um, That's why the community exists. But then there's also something else that's probably more important than that. And uh, there's a lot of people that want to be faithful. And they they maybe think, man, I'm going to be on that team. I'm going to enter the promised land. I'm going to get everything God wants for me this year, whatever you might want to call it, right? Maybe that's the thought that goes through your mind. Uh, you can't do it without Jesus. Um, you can't have a relationship with God on your terms. Uh, you can't like make something up and say to yourself, you know, well, I'm gonna maybe I'll get right with God later on in the year, right? Like there's like maybe that hope uh, because what's gonna happen if you try to do stuff like that? If you try to set God maybe on your terms, um, you'll find that God doesn't like to be on your terms. He's got His terms. His terms is this, he, he will call you for what you are, he'll call me for what I am. I'm a sinner. I've got an issue, I've got a heart that naturally has a desire to go every direction except to God. But God is faithful. And so because God is faithful, he has a heart, and his every desire is to try to draw me closer to himself. And so because God is faithful and he has every desire to try to draw me closer to to himself, 
there was a day that I was sitting and someone came up to me and just spoke a little bit of truth into my life based off of the Word of God. And my heart was just open enough, was just ready enough, was maybe just fertile enough to be able to receive that Word. And I said, that's it, God. I've got to give you everything that I know about myself to everything I know about you. And even though I don't know much about you right now, I think it's totally worth it. I'm jumping in. I'm going for it. And then from that point, he can continue to reveal even more about himself, especially as you read his word. Numbers is good. Don't miss it. You can make it through the genealogy stuff. It's fun. Just make up the names. The boys in the Bible study, if you heard them read some of the names, you'd feel so much better about yourself. Just make up the names. If you don't know it, just come up with something good or just label them by the first letter. letter you know, you, you'll get there, right? Uh, you, you heard me say names, and some of you that are like Bible scholars, you're like, he butchered that. And then others of you are like, man, he did a really good job. You know, like no one will know. Just you and God say the names back and forth. But anyways, uh, you got to be in the Word of God too. It's like if you think that, oh, well, I have this relationship with Jesus, I go to church, or I got baptized when I was two, um, you know, like there's, you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus unless you're actually like in a relationship with Jesus. And if you're in a relationship, you're going to want to read his word. You're going to be faithful. You're going to want to hear it. So we've got each other. We've got a relationship with the Lord. Um, and you can't have that relationship with the Lord, though, if you're not going through the blood of Jesus. And again, Numbers points to that. Numbers goes through that purification. I'm telling you, read it. It goes through like this crazy ritual that you've got to do just to be on God's good side so he'll listen to you. Right? If you're a priest, you think that having the priestly duty was good enough? No, like you're constantly sacrificing so you don't drop dead if you appear before God in the temple. But now we're covered by something different, a different blood, a different sacrifice, and that's the blood of Jesus. And it's not like, I mean, you see me, right? Like I'm in this shirt. That's actually red, so that's good. So you see me, I'm in this shirt. Like you can't look at this shirt and say, wow, he's you know, not wearing a red, uh, red shirt. Um, I Actually, really cool blessing. God... Uh, work through things this week where um, I knew that coming on and doing stuff full-time with Driftwood, I was going to have a have to get a truck. I don't know why it was like I have to get a truck, but it's like I have to get a truck. Um, I got to pull a boat, and I've got to be able to pull paddle boards. I've got to be able to do that with you guys. I've got to be able to go hang out. Um, and so I was like, okay, I've got to go find a truck, and so let's start this shopping process for a truck. Ashley and I have been saving for like two, three years. I mean, uh, we just put money aside, and we're like, we're going to go get a truck. And so went somewhere, and we got super excited about a truck, um, and uh, then kind of walked away from it, and we're like, okay, we're going to go pray about it. We're going to go talk to some people about it, and uh, went and talked and decided of all the people to talk to, I'm going to call, I'm going to talk to Terry, right? And Fernanda just covers her face because she knows. So I'm like, I'm going to talk to Terry. I'm like, Terry, let's go look at this truck. He's like, sure, I'll go look at this truck with you. And, uh, and then I go into his house to get him so we could go look at this truck, and uh, he's sitting on his computer. I'm like, all right, and he's like, let's compare some prices really quick. I'm like, Terry, I want to go look at the truck with you so you can tell me I'm making a good decision. And he's like, well, hold on. Like, and I mean, I'm not saying that we live across the street from them, so we know like they're really good at buying cars. Like they buy a car, they keep its value to the right point, they sell it, they get another one, so it's still at the high value. I mean, they're like, it's crazy. So they know what they're doing when it comes to buying a car. And uh, I don't, right? Like I'm, this truck that I now have out there that you guys may have seen, and I'll, you'll see it when you leave now, uh, is, uh, is definitely not because I knew what I was doing, all right? Uh, so anyways, so Terry's like, let's take a moment, let's look around. So he's like, okay, is the deal that you're getting through this dealership, this person, are you sure that it's the, the right truck and the right deal to be able to maximize the money that you have? 
And I'm like, I think so. Uh, so I, God's money. I mean, we'll make it work. So anyways, Terry effectively keeps me long enough talking while looking at a computer to where I had to call the sales guy because I knew I wasn't going to make it there before they closed. So there goes my, that day. Like, I was going to go buy a truck. didn't happen. I'm like, okay, God, you kept us back. We didn't go and get that truck. So what else do you have for me? So we drive around, we look at a few other dealerships, and we come to a dealership. And of all the trucks that God had for me, he decided that it was going to be a red truck. Not a good thing. One, because I have a lead foot. Uh, two, because, um, because like, I mean, it's red. Like, I want it white, you know, like just simple, bland. But then as I was looking at it and as I was thinking about it, I was like, I've got to have a story about the truck. So what's the story? And then I remembered, man, that truck is covered by the blood of Jesus. And here's why that's important. Because now I can look at somebody and be like, yeah, they, I got a red truck. But more importantly, that red truck reminds me that when I'm in it, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Whenever I step out of it, I'm still covered by the blood of Jesus. Because it's not like something that I'm wearing like a ghost sheet where I'm walking around. And it's like, no, like I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. When God looks at me, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. But guess what? You take the blood of Jesus off me, and I'm a sinner. Right? But the good thing is, the Bible tells us that once you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you don't have the blood of Jesus taken off you. Thank God. Praise God. I don't have to like do like this crazy ritual every day to keep the blood of Jesus on me, because I couldn't pull that off. Right? I'd be like in the book of Numbers. I'd be screwing up every left and right turn that I make. So giving my life to Jesus, trusting Jesus for who he is, I get covered by his blood. Now I have the ability to approach the throne of God. He sees the blood of Jesus. He doesn't see the sin of JJ. And that's the same in your life too. And so if you want to be on team faithful, first you got to be covered by the blood of Jesus. Otherwise, no matter what you do, you're on team faithless. And the reason why that's true is because the Bible tells us that we've got to surrender everything that we know about ourselves to everything we know about him. That's the first step of faithfulness. It's stepping into the promised land, and one day, luckily, this world's not my home, and I'm going to get to heaven, and then all of a sudden, I'm going to stand before the throne of God, and it's not even just going to be, it's going to be, JJ's now perfect because of the blood of Jesus, and now I get to spend eternity with him. So, anyways, with that, uh, I just want you guys to take this bookmark. I want you to look at it for a second. I want you to notice two things really quick. I want you to flip on the back. I want you to look at Team Faithless. I want you to look at how many people are there. There's a really wide road that goes down. It's to the pit. It's to hell. It's to destruction. The Bible tells us that. There's a wide road. There's a lot of people on it. There's a lot of people doing a lot of good things that are on it but they've not surrendered everything they know about themselves, everything they could possibly know about Jesus. They've not given their life to Jesus. The Bible, God's word, tells us that we have got to surrender our lives to the Lord. We've got to confess our sins to the Lord, but then at the same time, we've got to ask for the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You've got to confess him as Lord and Savior. You'll notice that on the other side of that bookmark, there's Team Faithful. There's two guys standing there. Yeah, sure, Joshua and Caleb. But I like to look at it like this. There's a guy that's standing up and there's a guy that's kneeling down. You know, we just sang a song that whenever we fight, we fight on our knees. Jesus is the one that fights the battle for me. I don't have to. All I got to do is remain in prayer and constant prayer on my knees before him, trusting every step of the way. You guys sang that song really, really good. But we're going into a new year. I want you to keep singing that song. And I hope that you leave Team Faithful somewhere on your refrigerator. And when you walk by it, don't even worry about flipping to the backside. If you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you can leave Team Faithful up there. 
I want you to be reminded, just trust him. No matter how weird and awful or much you feel like a grasshopper, if you spend a night crying, wake up the next day and be like, know what, God, forget that. I'm going to trust you. Just do it. It's a simple message. It's hard to do because I got to do it like every hour. But at the same time, we got each other. So I'm hoping that we can hold each other accountable to that. If you guys will, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. I praise you for your name. God, um, you know, of all the places that I could be and all the things that I can be doing, uh, you gave me an opportunity to be in the book of Numbers. And uh, you got me through it so that I could see some just crazy stories of of faithlessness, but also, God, just who you are and how faithful you are. Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for leading me. Uh, to that passage. And God, I just ask that you continue to remind me as I go through this year that I just need to be faithful and trust you. No matter what the circumstances look like and no matter what my head might tell me, God, I need to trust who you are. And I praise you for who you are. I hope that if there's someone here that needs to dedicate their life to you this morning, that they'll do it right now in their heart. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.